Welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 387, and it's part five of my Where's Your Head At um, series discussing mental health in a pandemic, essentially. Um, Thank you so much for all the love and support that's been going on for the previous episodes. The responses to my mum um, and to my goddaughter Lola and to loads of other people have been amazing. Obviously, this is your first one you're tuning in for. Previous guests, as well as my mum and goddaughter, include Stephen Graham, Gail Porter, Florence Pugh, uh, Fern Cotton, Jordan Stevens, uh, Jamali Maddox, Jade Adams, Carrie Ann Lloyd. So many good people already. So head back and check the other ones out. And we've got more to come as well. Next week, I'll have Simon Pegg, Connie Huck, and, and others. Yeah, I just want to say, as you know, as last week was Mental Health Awareness Week, I hope you're all okay, and I hope all of the talk of mental health was a positive for you. I've said a few times. In fact, I went on on Joe Wiley's radio show to talk about these these episodes, and I was saying on there that sometimes, obviously, the idea of a lot of these is in the hope that they'll encourage people to talk, because talking does make a big difference. But equally. I'm a big believer in that if you're not quite ready to talk yet, listening to those conversations can be really helpful as well. Hearing the conversations that you're not quite in a place to have yourself yet is really powerful. So um, yeah, I'm pleased everyone has been tuning into these and hopefully you've been getting something from them. And also, I swear as soon as I started this series, there's a new advert all of a sudden that's got the song, Where's Your Head At? on the on the advert so i'm taking full credit for that let's get on with this episode i've got a lot of people on this episode four again um and i'm gonna one of which is is lena heady i know a lot of you will be here for lena but i'm gonna kick things off with your friend of mine Stuart whiffin um a lot of you will know Stu from the drunk cast know him from off the beaten track his amazing music podcast and from hardcore listing his amazing top fives podcast but I wanted to talk to Stu about how he's been in the pandemic because I know it did affect him. And, you know, as we'll we'll get into, he's run a club night for over 20 years and this is the first time they've essentially had to close for any length of time. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about all of that, the fears f- financially, artistically, emotionally. So, yeah, let's kick things off. This is Stuart Whiffin on the Where Is Your Mind specials, part five. I said, where's your mind, buddy? But I've caught it this time. In fact, buddy, leave that in. I need to let the people know, right? Here's what happened. On the per- on the first four episodes, I recorded them all. And somewhere along the line, I started saying, where is your mind instead of where's your head at? So Buddy Peace had to flag them all, send them back to me and get me to re-record. So again, a shout out to, to Buddy Peace, the best producer in podcasting. And apologies to any negative effects I may have had on his mental health, listening to me ramble on for ages and repeatedly saying, where is your mind rather than, than where's, where's your head at? Yeah. Anyway, this now is Stuart Whiffin on part five of the Where's Your Head At? Mental Health in a Pandemic specials. 
Right, I'm here with Stuart Whiffin. How are you, mate? I'm all right. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. It's weird asking that because I know that we've just had a half hour catch up <laughs> before we started started recordings. So I'll just plug on. Um, as I've mentioned to you, the, the point of these podcasts is to have a 10, 15 minute chat about kind of how your mental health has been during the pandemic, kind of low points and what you've done to cope. And then a bit of a look forward. But let's start with that. Like, like How's it all been for you? Because I know... I know it hit you hard at the start because you, one of your jobs was in club nights and a lot of, basically a lot of your life was really ripped out from underneath you. And that's from, you know, entertaining yourself and your own enjoyment, also finances. So I think there was a lot all at once. So yeah, how's it been? Yeah, initially it felt like I, I guess the same for most people well you know we just have to dig in for a month and then next month when everything's back to normal we'll be all right yeah and then as the sort of seriousness of the situation started to unfold the reality of working in the hospitality industry was pretty bleak um and for somebody that you know a big part of their livelihood is is you know is running a you know a club it appeared to be yeah, pretty bleak. The uh, the future, and 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 then you know, there's times when you you start to worry. Well, you know, how long is this going to go on for? Will we be able to get through this? Because in, in any industry, you know, in in most of the hospitality industry, in pubs and clubs, it's tough enough anyway. Yeah. Like, and then you you, you throw a, you know, what we're now well over a year of not being able to trade. It's it's hit us hard. And so yeah, there was a, a, a the the initial month. I was quite happy to have a break. Uh, and to go out and have a run and there'd be no traffic and no aeroplanes and clear blue yeah. skies and sit in my yeah. garden. Loved all of that, you know, having a glass of wine in the afternoon. It was like a bit of a holiday. And then obviously, which is, I guess, you know, most people approached, you know, it like that. And then as as it went on, I then realised that I had to do something to try and earn some money. And so, you know, I tried to, to kind of start little things up, which after a, a little bit of time it started to kind of pay me a couple of quid and sort of pay the bills and and obviously myself and, and, and you and Adam have got the publication and so there was yeah. concerns also that you know we've got a, a magazine thankfully the distribution was taken care of elsewhere so that that was peace of mind there that you know that there was an income but it wasn't enough to, to sort of cover all the costs so so there was a you know a lot of different little ventures to try and sort of nick a couple of bob here and there and then I just realised I was just doing lots of things, which I guess is most people's daily grind, which is doing things they don't want to do. And I've been quite privileged, I think, to be able to always earn my living, working for myself, doing things that I enjoy. Uh, and so these little bits of marketing work that I was doing for other people, I just decided that I was going to kind of stop and really focus on doing my music podcast and trying yeah. to throw myself at that because I was, I was at the time putting out like one episode a week and uh, and, it, and it sounds horrible but I'm sure most podcasters will say the same and I'm sure you, you know where I'm going with this Pip and that's when you like you know like your podcast where you speak to people in the creative industry a lot of the time that creative industry is not working it's come yeah. to a stop and so these people are still doing bits and pieces but they have no means to kind of get the word out there there's no television shows to go on there's no tours to go and play so it means they're at home and and if they've still got something to say I was happy to facilitate that so it gave me an opportunity to really develop my music podcast which was something that 
more than anything, and I and and I still to this day think the title of your podcast is the greatest title ever. Um, it was it was just a brilliant distraction because I'm somebody that can't watch TV. I, I can't sit down and never put TV on of a day or anything like that. I have to I have to be doing so. I have to be active. I have to be sort of pushing forward with something. And and I was just worried that I was going to run out of things to do. And when I say that, I mean that in so far as run out of things that. Are, you know that have got potential options for me to develop into something work-wise or creative-wise, and yeah, yeah. So the the, the podcast become the perfect distraction for me. And that was, do you, do you think it was important to have that? Because again, I mean, I mentioned the podcast is called Off the Beaten Track, and during the pandemic, you got people like Chuck D and just all sorts of just amazing, like ridiculously huge names. A Chuck D is the one that sticks and stands out because it's Chuck D for God's sake. Yeah, but yeah. you've had members of Foo Fighters, all sorts of actors, comedians, just all sorts. Do you think that was key for the balance of your mental health? Because you've got two daughters and mm-hmm. a wife, obviously, but you're used to going out and being creative and then coming home and being dad as such. So do you think it would have got too much if, not all you got to be for these months was dad, but you had to have that kind of that other other area to 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 to, to push your mind into. Or do you think you, your girls would have been sent absolutely insane by you trying to play them all these these songs that they have no interest in hearing, and uh, and can get them into all sorts of bands and music? They're like, no, dad, just go and do that in the shed. Yeah, <laughs> leave us to live our lives. Yeah, can you just fuck off so we can get back to TikTok, please? Like, uh, yeah, so there would have been plenty of that. They don't want me wrapped around them twenty four seven, and and I say this with the greatest respect. I don't want to be dad, husband twenty four seven. You know, and it's not because of who they are, but it's because uh, I, I get a lot of what's the right word to choose here? Um, sort of stimulation from being creative, and and yeah. and, and, and and I really I'm, I'm lucky that I enjoy. What I do, uh, and so, and I think that makes me uh, a better person to be around, and and a better dad, and you know. So I think that's something that that has, has definitely helped. The fact that I've got this shed at the end of the garden, which you know used to be a, a, a little garden bar for socialising, and so that's now just become where I come and record my podcasts. And yeah. and it sounds crazy, but just that you know, five meters from the house, just walking down the garden into another space was just what I needed. Just yeah. it felt like I was still doing stuff, and and I was doing stuff, obviously, but it just felt like I was going to work, which sounds ridiculous because yeah. I couldn't work in the front room or like I, I just couldn't do that. I'd, I'd literally go crackers, so it kept me balanced, being able to to just get out and and, and talk to creative people about their passions and then you know the and music because if I can't talk about music, which I'm just a absolute nerd for if i can't have them geeky chats which i can't which i don't have with my wife and, and my kids are not interested in hearing about you know obscure rem b-sides from 1984 and it's like so it's really nice when i can hear other people enthused about their records and and i can do that with them and it, it just kept me kept me smiling i think it's, it's re- re- really interesting the locational part you mentioned there of walking to somewhere else to do it so it it feels like work i, I found slightly different but i've said a few times on this just going into my garden i really enjoyed i felt i could go and do emails out there or do do whatever i need to do but it not feel like i'm just slobbing about in my living room i'm going somewhere physically different um 
I want to ask you, and I want to first make it clear that this isn't specific to you. I've not noticed something and seen a problem, but how did you find your alcohol consumption to be in this period? And the reason I ask is I know a lot of people around our way, it was at first, kind of as you touched upon, at first it's seen as a holiday. It's like a Mm -hmm. bit of a party. Oh, I'm going to have a wine in the day. I'm going to get on the beers. And the sun was out. But then we act like that on holidays because they're a limited amount of time. And as you said, this kept going on and on and on. And I think I've noticed a few people I've known to be like, I had to check in on and go, are you drinking every day at the moment? And how much are you drinking every day at the moment? And is it worth thinking about that? Because again, it turned out to not be a one month breaks. So so what was your kind of experience on that? Very much like the other people that you've you touched upon there. I, I say drinking wine in a day, that's not true. I'm not a big daytime drinker, yeah. but I do like when I finish work, I do like to have a drink. And so when I knew that I didn't have to get up and go to London the next day or I didn't have to get up and drive to air the next day, I was like, oh, I'll have a I'll have a couple of beers. And then that did go on for probably two months. I would say probably having uh, a couple of glasses of wine or a couple of beers every night. Yeah. And I remember just sort of saying, my wife bought a box of wine <laughs> uh, and we joined a wine club and had this like this box of wine delivered. And I was like, oh, that looks really nice. And then I found myself like kind of getting bored of wine. And then I was like, oh, I'm bored of wine. I was like, right, I'm going to go and get a nice bottle of whiskey. And like, I'll just have like, I'll have a glass of whiskey instead. And then I just sort of, I just remember thinking to myself one day like, Oh, I can't remember the last night I didn't have a drink, like in lockdown. Yeah, and saying so, it would have been a good couple of months. And so I then went out to the supermarket, which become like you know the once a week when you could go out and you know get dressed up and and go out and uh, <laughs> and see people, you know. And, and I'd go to to Sainsbury's or whatever to do this shop, and and normally I'd kind of go down to Boozile and like grab some wine or something like that. But I didn't. I bought some alcohol-free beer, and it was just at the right time. And I and I remember just then having like a can of alcohol-free beer like every, every night, you know, for however long. And it kind of helped me to get back into because I've really enjoyed running, you know, in lockdown, especially yeah. as I mentioned at the beginning when the roads were empty and the sun was shining and there was no planes in the sky. It was just really lovely. I think it's I think it's really interesting because I think on on running the lockdown or the pandemic has made it an hour more achievable if you know what I mean because to get Massively. that emptiness you'd normally be oh, I have to get up at six and you might be like yeah. oh, I've had a bit of a long night and and that th- that that being oh you can do that and it's still that quiet at seven or eight becomes that bit more achievable right it becomes that bit more in reach. And the, the running thing was something that was really important as well. Uh, aside from, I mean, and the alcohol consumption has, has since, I should clear that up, has since kind of regulated itself. Yeah. Although, I, you know, still not getting up and driving anywhere. So, yeah, still having occasional weeknight glasses of wine. But to the point where, like, I've not had a drink for a few days. So when did yeah. I last have a drink rather than when did I last not have a drink? So, yeah, so it's, yeah, a it, 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 it's a massive difference. And, it, yeah, and it, and it did for a couple of months, become far too easy to, uh, mm. to just think, ah, oh, right, well, this is what we do now at 8 o'clock, isn't it? Let's, let's, let's have a, open a bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, but the thing about running I just want to touch upon is, uh, you know, I know you, 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 you've you done a bit of running over the years. And I'm going to say that. I don't mean just like as a kid, like, <laughs> you'd be, like jogging, you know, going out jogging, not just like, you know, running around the playground. And things I, like. but, <laughs> I know you get chased a lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but um, where I was going with it was um, the, the beautiful thing about it is if you're out jogging and uh, and you see another jogger, you get a wave mm. or an acknowledgement, and it's really nice. And uh, and then what happened in lockdown is you don't still get, can get your sort of waves off your runners, but because everyone was so starved of connection and interaction, people that were just having a walk on the other side of the road would be like, morning, which doesn't happen where me and you live. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely not. Strangers don't engage with you because, you know, you'd think they're crackers. It's like it just doesn't happen where we live. And so it was really nice to kind of then sometimes sort of slow down and stand opposite sides of the road and, someone's walking their dog or if I'm walking my dog and, and just, how are, you, how are you finding it? And just like lovely stuff like that. Like I'd come yeah. home and like, and I'd be like, I was just chucking that person. Like I've literally seen them so many times in the time I've lived here and never spoke to them. Never had any interaction. Yeah. And like, and, and I just really hope because it felt when we come out of lockdown the first time, all of a sudden people's heads went back down and, and they were quite quick to kind of get back on with, you know, the normal and normal, you know, British normal of, yeah. you know, and, and quite self, you know, that self-involved element to, to you know, that, that we can sometimes have. And and I, I really hope that that wouldn't happen. And then obviously going back in again, I think that's why it hit hard for so many people because I think there was just that, oh, we're back to, we're getting back to, oh, fuck's sake, no, we're not. Now it feels even harder. Uh, and so I'm just hoping that as we come out of it now, if, if it continues to go the way it does, I hope that that longing and that passion for connection that, that you miss so much and that, that, that we know we depend on, I hope there's a little snippet of that, that that we take with us into the new normal, whatever that might be, yeah. that we do then have a quick stop and chat to the person over the road just walking their dog or acknowledge the, the new runner. And, yeah. you know, and just, yeah, just kind of, I don't want to sound all preachy, but yeah, but just, be a little bit nicer <laughs> yeah i i hope hope that as well and i've said a few times in these chats that i think we need to remember because that warmth and niceness it feels like it was at the beginning rather than towards the end Definitely. and we need to remember that part and it just it came to mind as you were talking about r- r- running acknowledgements and i've not told anyone this but you but you'll enjoy it and you'll laugh at me a lot but i did a little bit of running in in vancouver a lot while I was out and there's this amazing route that's just around this creek and it's quite there's always a fair few on there and and you would as you say you'd get the waves and I think like I enjoy waving but as a joke because I've got huge hands and I think they look, look fl- floppy and stupid like I'm doing a wave now on the camera I think I've not got a good wave it's not a good wave. Yeah, I'm not. It doesn't look natural at all. Oh, Never mate. seen that before. Stop I, doing that's, it. That's it. I don't do it much because I've got a stupid wave. So what I started doing on this, and you'll crack up at this, but I felt really good. Yeah, so so I've ne- I'm just doing a wave as well now because I've never actually looked at my own wave. See, my wave looks a lot more kind of solid and, and uh, wave-like. I've got giant, giant fluffy hands. But <laughs> what I started to do, right, and I really – Again, it's so sad how much I enjoyed this because I felt really cool when I do it. So I'm running and I've got my arms up. I keep my arms up a decent height. I've got, I try to keep good posture and composure when I'm running. And I just give a little, a, a, a little piece, a little piece, but not like a big one, like a cool, like a rapper kind of, what up, a little piece. And I honestly, I was so, so happy every time I do it because people would give a nod and I just, 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 just run along, give a little, what's up, man? So yeah, I, I, I give a little peace sign as I run now. Right. 
you see yourself as some kind of like Big Daddy Kane figure that's just acknowledging, <laughs> acknowledging all the fellow runners. Right? But the way that you said you keep your hands up high to keep your posture, I imagine you look like some quintessential kind of Victorian gentleman just doing this really awkward run and then just flicking these two massive hairy fingers out all right. that probably really make people feel uncomfortable. All right. I, was, I, was, I was being humble there. I'll ex- explain why. <laughs> In fact, I'm just going to go off camera for, for, for two seconds. <laughs> While I was in Canada, I bought these things called egg weights. And it's this little two kilogram w- w- weight that you put on your finger like that. Right. And it gives you kind of an upper body workout while you're running. And it's right. really good. It increases the cardio yeah. as well. So, so that's the reason I'd actually have my hands up quite high. I started to say, I was like, I'm not going to talk about egg weights. And then I'd give a little... Right. Now, now I see like that the two fingers would seem comfortable because you've kind of got it hooked over your middle finger and it's yeah. like, uh, yeah, I think if you waved, people would be like, why has he got vibrating love? What has he got? Is mouth? it a weapon? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, they're, they're called egg weights and obviously people can't see, but it's um, obviously I saw it on one of the MMA fighters' Instagram pages because that's I'm a fanboy <laughs> f- for that nonsense. But, yeah, they're good. they're good fun, man. I recommend them. It looks cool yeah. as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really does, yeah. Anyway, aside from that, that isn't what we're here to talk about at all. You mentioned kind of the, your, your hopefulness as we come out of this. How are you feeling as we come out of the other end? Are you excited? Are you anxious? Yeah, yeah, what's your general feel? Are you sceptical? Because I know all the talk of things getting back to, I hate people saying normal because normal is how yeah, we got here. But um, I know running a club night, that still feels a long way off returning and getting back to being able to be done safely so yeah how are you feeling going forward it's really weird if i stop and think about it for too long it can kind of do my head in a little bit insofar as i always thought that my goal would be to be able to facilitate everything i do work-wise to a point where i can do it all off a laptop that's what i wanted to do and i've done that uh and i'm now due to lockdown everything i do is via this computer that we're talking on now and then that makes me think, let's say best case scenario on June the 21st or whatever, like, you know, everything, you know, all, all restrictions and everything are dropped. I can't see that happening. But if, we, if we're optimistic and we go best case scenario, that, that all happens. And I just think I'm going to sort of get up Monday morning and go, yes, and then go in my little garden shed and go back to work because I haven't got, all of the things that where I'll be going into London to sit down with someone and do a podcast or going, you know, to yeah, just so many meetings and things like that, that it would involve like jumping on a train, flitting here and there. And all of that stuff, I think, as we've seen uh, over lockdown, that meetings can be done like this yeah. and, and they just be the same. Yeah. I think there's so much that isn't going to go back to an, any like, like how it was before i completely agree and so that 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 i do think oh god is is that the rest of my life now like am yeah. i just destined to spend the rest of my life in my shed like nick frost in uh Sean the Dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no i'm obviously i want to get the, the club open and that you know to be able to stand there and meet and greet 600 people every week and watch them dance hug sing and all of that will, will be joyous. Genuine question. Have you got any concern over how it will be when things are open again? Because we do 
we are in Essex and it is a land of excess. Mm. Um, and I think after several years, and you've had trouble at clubs before, every club you've worked at is going to have had some trouble at some point, but we are in a land of excess. And when people haven't been out clubbing and drinking for a year, a year and a half or whatever it'll end up being when that happens, is there any concern that it's going to be a lot of hard work? or a lot to deal with because people will no longer know their limits or will be even more happy to ignore their limits? I think it's a a bit of both. And, I mean, to give you an example of that, the the one time in club land uh, that I've seen there be kind of more trouble is when the clocks go back and you get an extra hour. Yeah, consistently, consistently more trouble. (laughs) Because people have them extra two or three drinks that they wouldn't yeah. normally have. And yeah. so they then behave in a way that they don't normally behave a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I think there's going to be, you know, that, that New Year's Eve type vibe for a fair few weeks or months maybe, yeah. you know, as, as, as cl- if clubs reopen in, a, in the way that we know them to be. Uh, and, and I think there will be people just getting overexcited and just losing their shit and probably getting too drunk and and that I guess can sometimes cause problems but I do also think there will be a counterbalance to that will be there's going to be just as many people wanting to hug you rather mm. than wanting to do anything else I think there's yeah. just going to be you know I don't want to be all hippie but it'd be great if it was another like third summer of love where everybody was just in the clubs and just happy to be in an environment where they can hug people again because they've been yeah. starved of it for so long uh, well, just to clarify, I don't like run a swingers club. It is a nightclub, and, uh... <laughs> and and also I was, I was conscious of saying in all clubs then, because as well, because it's not like you, the club that you run is a rough club or anything. But again, no, any club no. where alcohol is available, yeah. And, and you've been going for how many years? Yeah, I mean I'm old. It's all right. No, the club itself. I mean, oh the, god, yeah, over thirty years. Yeah, over thirty years, and that's again, it's. Again, it's it's mad. I'd imagine that this is the only time in those over thirty years it's been closed for a year, right? It's had refurbs and stuff, but we've never been closed, not even for a refurb. Really? I mean, you've seen the club, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it was the first like that, that first weekend that it was shut was the first weekend I've ever known it to be shut, and I've worked there twenty seven years. Madness. So it? it it's felt strange, like you know, weekends like Friday evenings, sort of going all oh, right. Well, Telly shit, like, yeah. and yeah, and not waking up the next day. Uh, it's nice waking up earlier and and you know being able to not feel shattered the next day. But there's definitely something lost by not having them chats with hundreds of people. Just like, hey, Bean, all oh, right, cool, thanks for coming, and and being able to, you know, I still love DJing and yeah. and stuff like that, and hearing crowds sing songs is you know the thing that gives me goosebumps. And yeah, yeah so I, I do miss that, and I. You know, I hope that that's something. My, my brother um, does what I do in Australia, and uh, he had a band called The Chats, a, a great Australian band. They've lifted the restrictions on live music, and he sent me a video of just kids losing their shit watching this band. And it was only like a sort of three hundred cap venue, but I just thought, oh my god, that looks amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I look forward to a time when we can all do that safely, definitely. Well, thank you very much for coming on and having a chat. Cheers, Pip. 
There we go. That was Stuart Whiffin. I hope you enjoyed that. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Not so much the bit at the end laughing at me j- j- jogging, but a bit of lightness in the heaviness. And speaking of lightness, this next guest is, is someone I reached out to and I've not spoken to in a, a year or so, not properly. So I wasn't sure if they'd be up for coming on, but she instantly said, let's make it happen. And we actually, a little behind the curtain, we set this up to record on maybe um, a Wednesday or Thursday. And then I was just about to do a workout on a Monday and I got an email notification to say that my guest had entered the Zoom chat. And I was like, all right. So I emailed, say, have you got the times wrong? And she was like, yeah, I think so. But I was like, well, I'll jump on anyway. So we jumped on and recorded this. So this was even more unplanned off the cuff, genuine, real conversation between two humans. And one of those humans is the wonderful Lena Hedy. Right, I'm here today with Lena Hedy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm 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 really enjoying having these chats. And I kind of explained briefly. The the idea is just to spend 10 or 20 minutes kind of talking about how your mental health has been throughout the pandemic kind of if there's been any low points or if there's been any like coping mechanisms that you found that you didn't know you needed or had. So kind of how have you been? Well, here's the thing. I fell in love in January last year. Right. And we ended up spending most of the pandemic together. I mean, there's there's been a lot of that kind of fast-forwarded romances because of the pandemic that people <laughs> who have been seeing it, each other briefly then hits March and it's like, oh, now we live together, it turns out. Yeah, but listen, it wasn't pl- – <laughs> like, this is the ridiculous thing, right? So we, we kind of met and it was lovely and it was like, you know, who knows where this is going to go. Yeah. And then we hung out. He was going to go work. Then everything got cancelled and we ended up going up to Yorkshire – and we were like, oh, it'll be a couple of weeks. Like everybody, you know, that first yeah. lockdown yeah. was like two weeks. You can't see anybody and then life will be normal. And we were there for three months. Wow. And it was a really interesting time. Just, you know, as someone who quite likes their own space and yeah. is pretty independent, it was a really kind of like amazing. It was like three months of therapy. Yeah. It's something you wouldn't have put yourself through otherwise, Never. knowing how independent you are and how 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 adamant you are on 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 how things are to be. You probably yeah. wouldn't have had that intense partnership that quickly and in that in that kind yeah. of close proximity. Yeah, we called it. It was like Stockholm romance, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just happened to work out beautifully. So I was like, well, what can I say? I love that. But yeah, I think it was really, you know, I have two kids and I think for them, it's been much harder because yeah. like my son just turned 11 and I think at that, the nine and 10, they, they're particularly sociable. You know what I mean? They're just learning to make real friendships and all that's starting to happen. And then suddenly they're just isolated. So I think for kids, it's been really hard. Yeah. And the joy of them for themselves going back to school, obviously, and for pa- I know every parent was like, yes, I get to drop you off. Um, yeah. You know, it's a funny thing as a parent because you obviously love your children and then you realise we're spending 24-7 together, mm-hmm. which I think in the beginning was quite uh, overwhelming. And it shouldn't be, but it just shows you how we rely on outside sources to kind of help raise your, your kids, I guess. Yeah. And 
thankfully I realized how much I enjoy their company. You know what I mean? They've been very fun and just watching them grow has been delicious. But then you read about all these stories of people spending time, families suddenly spending time together. I guess parents that worked and didn't really have full on parental responsibility and think, you know, it hasn't gone well for lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and how's that, that been for you then? Cause you are someone who has, has always been obviously very involved with your children and raising them, but you are also someone who works a lot. Yeah. In, in yeah. Know, so you will have these, I guess, long periods where you're not, and I, it seems so ugly to use the word only, but you're not only mum. And I don't mean that in the derogatory way it sounds, but you're other versions of you and to the extreme, because you literally get to play other versions of, yes. of, of you. So how was that to kind of, I guess, zone in and focus on 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 the mum role, the, the biggest role you've ever played? The biggest, most important role. I think if I'm really honest, I, I thought, God, I'm not... I'm not cut out to be, I like working, you know what I mean? And I think there's guilt that comes with that, all those realizations. And I, my first thought was, holy shit, you know, a full, all those mums that are full-time mums, it's the hardest thing, I think. Yeah. It's the most selfless act is to give yourself 100% all the time and not have any space. I think when you become a parent, people are like, oh, that's it, it's done. But you're still you, you know what I mean? Yeah. You still have to function and of deal course. with your own stuff. But I have a deeper appreciation for sure of their needs. And I don't know, I think I got to see who they really, really are becoming, which is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I don't know if I'd have, obviously I would have seen it, but I don't know, I wouldn't have had that concentration. Yeah. And I think it did them, you know, it's done them a lot of good. I think you, it's just quality, you know, quality time. Yeah. I I, I love that. So also, how have you... How have you found the pause on work things? Because it's a weird one in this industry where there's no, I say this all the time, The it's an industry that seems to be unaware of holidays, of families, of other responsibilities. And and again, particularly f- for women at times. I know, I, I know I've got numerous friends who literally, as they're coming out of hospital with their newborn child, are getting a phone call kind of being... So, so we've got this thing in a month. Is that going to be, is that going to work? I know kind of like, oh, hang on, let's pause on this. Um, but that did have to pause. And you ended kind of 2019. You'd had your directorial debut, like with your short, which got loads of of, of praise. And, you know, I, I was a huge fan of, and I know that was something that you'd been wanting to, to move in that direction for a while. You'd been shooting, uh, uh, was it in, in Russia with Karen and, and others in Berlin in Berlin that's right so you you had been all go and then all of a, s- a sudden the handbrake is pulled hard by a pandemic um <laughs> how was that like for you to kind of step out of business mode for a moment or did you keep that that ticking over did did it make you go more well what else am I going to do next I think I well let me just say you were so lovely about my film thank you that was, meant it. a lot to me I, loved I know it. but it, it, blew it, me it was away. so you know, I really respect you as an artist and I, and just to have that somebody kind of say that about your work is really lovely. So thank you. But no, I don't, I try not to sort of look too far ahead because, you know, I think that's something you learn as you get older is this scramble to plan and have everything sorted. It's like, who the fuck knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's just being old and tired and a little bit achy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel Um, it. But 
I, yeah, I mean, I kept pushing and trying to be patient about work. And also I met my manager called me and she was like, we're going to be fine because, you know, it's not going to affect the industry. And then obviously the industry just went. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, oh, okay. Um, maybe should have put some money aside. This is a bit terrifying, but I think I just threw myself into being home and being a mom. And, you know, like, like I say, thank God, I'm really lucky. And I realized that I've got a place up in Yorkshire. So we were in the woods and in the fields and, you know, yeah. noodling around. It was like going back to 1940. My children were like, oh, can we just play iPads all day? And I was like, yeah, some days you can. Yeah. But like most moms, you were like, we're going for a walk at 4 p.m. every day. <laughs> I genuinely find the people I know who've handled this best this whole period have been people who either already live in the countryside or had somewhere they could go in the countryside. Cause I think it makes yeah. such a difference. Cause I think we do absorb panic in many ways. I think we do absorb tension. And I think when things were being ramped up by the media and the news and panic was kind of building and building and, and everyone was being turned against each other in a way I'd chat to a mate who was off in the woods, like with their family and we're like, Oh really? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been, we've got really dirty in this, this lake. We've come back head to toe in mud, but yeah, I didn't yeah. really know any of that was, was happening. Obviously it's a huge pr privilege to have that option to be able to do huge. that. But yes. when mental health is concerned, that's where privilege should be used. <laughs> you know, if, if, if it's an option, if you've got those options, that's where you should be taking it to look after your mental health and, and your own wellbeing. So yeah, kind of an interesting one. Yeah. I, and I think there's something really, I think the thing I miss the most is the freedom to travel. And I, you know, I was a massive backpacker when I was a, in my twenties, like I yeah. fucking lived for it because you're feral. There's no bullshit, especially when, you know, you travel through India, which I was obsessed with for years. And it was kind of like going back to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our hair grew everywhere and you were like, fuck it, there's no point having a shower, who gives a shit? Yeah. There was no clock on anything. And I found that incredibly, I felt really peaceful, actually, when I came out of that first lockdown. There were, you know, there were some days, like most people, where you were kind of going, it was more, it wasn't even a personal thing. It was just, what the fuck is happening to the world? And I'm raising children in this on this planet, and we're just fucking it up. I think that mm. was my anxiety, more than being locked in and just kind of, making your own little tribe yeah well well i mean speaking of that you've you've always as well been someone who's very much an activist and very hands-on with a lot of different causes and loads of that had to stop but the need didn't go away um mm -hmm. so many charities couldn't do uh, our mutual friend Stuart roberts and his his haircut for the homeless so much of that had to stop because of social distancing and because of the need of protecting the homeless from 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 anything else as well yeah but i said the need didn't go away and i think it's been one of the first times in ages that i felt that maybe briefly in flashes and moments the good that can be done by social media outweighed the bad just for a moment i'm still very negative on social media i think it does us so much damage but there was opportunities in this and and you used them numerous times to reach people when they were at home and could be reached and weren't distracted. And I think, how was that to do kind of to, to, to find the causes to, to reach out on behalf of and to be involved with and to push? Well, I'm, I'm with you, social media, right? Because it's, you know, 
it's every time I go to delete and I'm only on Instagram, I don't do any, any other social media. And I go, fuck it. I'm just going to fuck, fuck that. I don't need it. But then I think, but then you do, there's some good you can do. Yeah. And that, that always stops me. Yeah. But it's very tempting to just fuck it off because really, what is it? I don't know. You know what I mean? But in terms of, by the way, how wonderful is Stuart Roberts? Fucking love him. Oh my God. And he's back. They're back now, which is wonderful. Yes. And I was just saying that that magic. The, the, I I also think about people that were isolated alone during the yeah. pa- you know during the pa- it's, you know we need human touch. It's you know when you raise children without affection and you know it stunts all of their growth, all of it. Yeah. Social, emotional, educational, all of it goes away. And I just think, God, how when I watched Stu with the people and we went to the chapel um, to the mission, the the sort of the magic of just touching someone who is considered untouchable, which yeah. is so wrong, was just. I, I said it. It was one of the most. And I meant it. The most incredible days of privilege I've experienced. Yeah, it was yeah. a really profound kind of five hours of just watching all this go down and speaking to people. And, you know, that's my whole, when people go, why are you involved in so many things? And I think because they're all, it's all about one thing. It's about love and acceptance and, you know, stamping out fear and hatred, like all of the things. Yeah. Homelessness, migration, you know, people stuck where they shouldn't be stuck. There's no fucking reason to be. Yeah. And that all stems from, you know, greed, hate, fear, all the bad shit. Yeah, and they're all things that are so fueled by s- social media and algorithms and whatever else. So it's important, in a way, to counterbalance that, to be there, going, "Look, here's here's love," you know, or yeah. choose love. In fact, is 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 one of the great the great charities and the simplicity of that. It's like, well, that's important. We need that on our timelines, and we need that popping up on our phones rather than the constant doom and gloom and fear. Yes. Yeah, but it's amazing <clears throat> how many people buy into that fucking... I mean, I just started watching that QAnon doc. Have you seen it? I haven't. I haven't. I've heard about <laughs> it and heard how ludicrous it exposes it all to be kind of thing. Oh, my God. But people still... It's like, is there a, is there a need to hold on to some faith? You know what I mean? No matter what it is, if you buy into it, it becomes your truth. I mean, that's it's so scary that it's that fragile. Yeah. I, I I genuinely think, and this is now complete th- throwing out some theories of my own, but I think one of the most <laughs> damaging things is that we've always had this almost a joke that we should be looking for the meaning of life, which implies there's something that we should be understanding, right? And I think yeah, that it, we're missing. Yeah, and I think it puts us so many people in this position where they want someone who can tell them the answer, so they don't feel ignorant or don't feel like they don't understand. So they're looking for these leaders who are going to turn around and go, here's the answers. We're really clever. It's all this. Here's the explanation. If you follow us, you're in on it. You don't have to sit there being, I don't. And the fact is there isn't a meaning of life because that's all the whole meaning of life thing is just mankind's arrogance that we're not like all the animals and all the other organisms and things that just exist because they exist. We are so important that we have to have a meaning. There has to be a meaning for humans. Everything else, yeah, they just live, they breathe, they die, so on and so forth. But for us, there has to be a meaning. And, yeah, I think that leads a lot of people to be open and susceptible to to false leaders and false prophets and that kind of thing. So it's... The false prophets. It's a weird one, right? Well, I mean, it sounds really like you've kind of 
been able to find the ways to keep your mental health in check throughout this period, which is awesome. So how are you feeling as we start to come out the other end of it? Are you excited? Are you anxious about anything? Where's where's your head at with that? Probably like most people, I feel, you know, there's a sense of optimism, obviously. And I guess there's a anxiety because everything's fucking changed. Yeah. And I remember, I remember like early on in the pandemic, there was some big billboard or something that said, I think it was something like, you know, things will never go back to how they were because they weren't meant to be that way. That was all fucked anyway. Yeah. So my anxiety is just about the bigger picture of have we learned anything? I don't know. Yeah. Of how quickly and easily we can forget. I'm worrying about that a lot, particularly in the UK and America, because the UK and America, it's interesting because I was filming in Canada and it's kind of the opposite there. The UK and America handled the pandemic appallingly, really. If you look at the death rates, they handled it appallingly, but they're handling the vaccine amazingly. Yeah. Canada handled the pandemic pretty well. Like their, their numbers are pretty low. Their rates, their percentages are pretty low. They're handling the vaccine quite poorly. So all of a sudden, Canadians seem to think that they did it, their government has messed it up more than anyone, which they haven't. And Americans and Brits seem to be going, look at us, we're on top of this vaccine thing, haven't we done great? And the way I've I've said it a few times is it doesn't matter how good someone is at cleaning shit from all over your living room, if they're the ones that came and shat all over your living room, you're still going to be annoyed at them. Regardless of how good they are at cleaning it up, you're still going to, you should still be furious that they came and and, and shit everywhere. So yeah, I completely agree. I worry that, that if we will learn, learn from this, that is the anxiety. So what do you feel you want to make sure that you take away from this? I mean, you've talked about seeing moments in your in your kids that you maybe wouldn't have seen is that something that you've kind of going right I need to remember this when accepting jobs in the future or looking at what I want to do next looking at how long I'm going to be away or is it a balance yes I mean that is always the tricky thing you know especially when your children get older and they need they need their own exist they need to kind of start investing in people and of course I did want to I did want to ask earlier as much as you've enjoyed it your kids are also at the age where they might be like leave me alone mum and I, I, I mean I, I know you seem to be enjoying w- witnessing me but give me some space how you know yeah my son actually my daughter's not my daughter's literally my sort of best mate so and likes to make out with me she it's that beautiful thing when they're under the age of 10 they still think that they're going to marry you and live with you their entire life love it and my son has always said that. And then I said to him recently, do you think you're going to stay with mommy forever? And he went, oh, maybe. And I was like, yes. Okay, it's changing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not sure. And then we watched some, Some he's into these, uh, we've sort of moved on a little bit. He loves uh, animation, like, you know, Adventure Time and Infinity Train, all that stuff. Yeah. But now we're moving into watching real people, which I never thought would happen. Yeah. And he watches like sitcoms and there was, we were watching one the other day about this girl who was moving away from her mom. She's like, I love my mom, but she's like, don't do this. And he went, you're exactly like that. <laughs> and I was like, am I? It's like, you're a human, you have opinions. And I need, I always say, what can I do to be better? I've done that my whole parenting life. Cause I, you know, I need, I haven't done this before. You're not born yeah. being a brilliant mom. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's work and it's, it's, it's challenging. Cause you, you know, you will fuck up. Um, so I've learned not to feel guilty 
so much about that. I think I was always feeling, I always felt guilty about being a working parent. And I was like, this is our, this is our life. You know, yeah. they get to live and travel and be worldly and, and be kind. And I've got two very kind children, which gives me great joy. I love that. I don't know if you ask me that, Pip. I'm just going off on a... I, I, no, I keep changing the question as I ask it. But yeah. On a morning it, bender. It's, it, yeah, it feels the the overall f- feeling is that coming out of this, again, as you say, an anxiety over that we we won't have learnt, but a hope that we will take some of the unity that we saw, particularly in the early parts where people were coming together more and helping neighbours and take some more of that as we go forward and try and just yeah. be... N- nicer humans right nicer humans and also you know my my kind of living god is david attenborough for as long as he's around i feel relatively safe yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the day he's not i don't know what i'm going to do so i i remember early on he released something about you know we can save the planet yeah and that's what i mean is are uh, have we are we going to take forward with us and what i mean us yes us but also those big fuckers that are in charge with loads of money. Like, are they mm-hmm. going to, what are we going to do? Does everyone think if they just sit on top of loads of money, they'll be fine when everything just goes totally tits up? Yeah. I just wonder if those people that feel protected on some level, I wonder if that's changed because yeah. that would be powerful. Yeah. And that's the biggest question of all. And again, I don't want to now end it on a negative and be sceptical of that. But I do think in general, all the small changes build towards that anyway. You know, the, the the more people there are putting pressure on those up there in power to have their own realizations and to make their own changes, the more the more it becomes realistic. And yeah, it, it, the fact that for the majority of the pandemic, the leader of America and the leader of Britain got COVID. You know, you'd think that that would in some way give them, even if it's in a small way. I know it didn't seem evident as soon as they came out of it, but even if it's in a small way, that will have given them some kind of long-lasting moment of realisation of uh, of the reality of these things, of how it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Um, as I said, you can't be protected by standing on a stack of of coins like Sc- Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> it can it can get to you. So. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. We're all one person, right? Yeah. There's no this sort of divisive illness that we're, that's around that, that sort of, pervades everything it's just total nonsense i love it well thank you very much for taking the time and to to have this this chat thank you sorry i look like a lunatic no it's wonderful and it's as a pleasure as ever love to see you mr pip yes and uh we shall chat more about things yes indeed There we go. That was Lena Heady. Next up, um, I'm talking to Rich Wilson. Rich is a comedian and he hosts a great mental health podcast that I went on, um, or two mental health podcasts. He started a men's mental health podcast called Insane in the Men Brain. And then he started a kind of a, a women's spin-off one called Insane in the Femme Brain. Um, so he's spoken about mental health a lot. So I definitely wanted to get Rich on and have a quick natter and, che- and check in on him as much as anything else so yeah this is rich wilson right i'm here today with rich wilson how are you sir i'm all right mate i'm all right it's nice to see your lovely face and yours mate um so 
what I want to do, as you know, as I told you in advance, is have a 10, 15-minute chat about kind of how this last year and a half has been for you mental health-wise. Now, you're someone who hosts an amazing mental health podcast, a men's one in Insane in the Men Brain and a women's one in Insane in the Fem Brain. So you should know all the tricks and tools, but it's always easier or it's often easier to advise others or talk to others than it is to keep up on your own mental health at times. So so how, I guess, how's it been this last year and a bit? Oh man, it's been, I've experienced every single emotion that yeah. there is to experience. There's, there's been times of incredible euphoria when it just, just whatever you're doing, some, it just get hit. Actually, this is all right. We're going to be all right. But incredible sadness, it's everything. It's been exhausting, to be honest. Yeah. But what I found was we were having some sort of couples counselling before, and then that it was. I was like, I like, I was always, like, I like helping people. I like helping people. And she was like, but why do you like helping them so much? And then we worked out. It's like because it 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 means I don't have to focus on myself. It's easier. Yeah easier to do it for other people than to sort your own your own shit out so yeah it's been a lot of learning yeah it can be a tough one can't it i think that's quite a common trait i think the you often find it in 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 families if there's a a, a loss the one that's kind of b- being there for everyone and yeah. and looking after it all is going to end up being hit harder down the line because they're being strong for everyone else but at some point they're going to have to deal with their own yeah. own emotions and i think that can be a a deflecting thing at times. So have you found anything that you've found as a good way of dealing with things? I know you do some good walks on yeah. on your Instagram and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Has, has that been a kind of key thing of this strange yeah. era? I like to just go and just walk. There were places I could get a coffee. So I just charge my headphones up, pick an album to start with, and then just walk and just keep walking and just I'll be out for hours just walking just just walking not because you know we couldn't really see anybody we couldn't really do anything you know there were there were issues at home and and so I just needed to just go and I'd just Mm. walk and I found that I because I because I I love music so much music's been the thing that's carried me through more than comedy really as much as I love comedy music I've just been discovering new bands and new things, just delving into this, you know, all the things I wouldn't normally listen to, you know, yeah. just getting involved with that and just and just walking. I've just done a lot of walking. I think I'm shorter now than I was before. <laughs> <laughs> You've worn yourself down. Yeah. But, but, but that's interesting, the, the idea of m- music being a key part. So there's something artistic in there. There's, there's, mm. the, the, there's you're absorbing some kind of creativity but then also the idea of just movement. And I think yeah. I'd, a, a, a walking has been a, bi- a big thing for me. And now I'm starting to look back over it all. I'm trying to decide if it was all just that kind of, that positive, I want to be active, I want to get moving. And if there was also any kind of panic involved in that, in that kind yeah. of not, not st- st- stopping anywhere, n- n- knowing that if I'm on my own, and I'm moving. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's all right. I'm not putting anyone yeah. at risk. I'm not doing anything dodgy, which is a yeah. weird thing to think because that can really build isolation or further isolation into our coping mechanism, That which can be a weird and, and it can be good and bad. I think yeah. alone time and being comfortable with yourself is an important thing, but also you can get too into it as such. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's I think there's an element of subconsciously you're like, you're trying to walk away from it. You're trying yeah. to, you're walking away from all the problems and 
So I think the thing is with this, because everything's been so intensified, because we've been locked down, we haven't really had a lot of other distractions. You don't realise what you like. You think you're being, you think you've got a handle on it. You think you've got, you got yourself together, and you're being as reasonable and cool as you can with everybody, anyone that's around you. But suddenly you you, you go, I'm being an asshole. Why am I being an asshole? What's why is that? And you go, I've got to go. I need to go out, and that's that's when you start walking. It's almost like you're like walking away from the asshole side of you. Yeah. Or you know, it's that, or, or, or you know, the person that you're around, you know, they 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 maybe they're struggling with something, and 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 they're and they're coming because we're not supposed to be in locked in together all the time with the same people. We're meant yeah. to, we're, we're sociable creatures, so we're meant to be out and seeing different people, and then and then you come back, and then you see the person that you're that you're with, and then you discuss the people that you've seen, and yeah. and that's what we, and that's what you do. But to be locked in together with the same people, I don't know anybody that hasn't struggled with it with all, with all the love in the world for the people that's around them they they've everyone's gone I, I i need to get away from this i need to yeah. just go for a bit i think we've all been the same just just walking away from from whatever it is yeah catastrophe and yeah it's really interesting because yeah again that the lack of options in yeah in 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 these situations um have you found doing the podcast help because again it's that it's forced Although it'll be over Zoom or whatever else, it is these conversations that you you get to have that are a change from the norm. And again, as you said, it can be great to help other people, but it can also be just enlightening. Like you can learn some yeah. stuff that people go, "All right, here's what here's what this person does. That's interesting. I hadn't thought yeah. of that." Yeah, I found that the podcast. I genuinely think that the podcast saved me. And I know that sounds cliche and no. maybe a bit pretentious, but that link to, to other worlds every week, you know, I do like two or three in a day. And I felt like I, I got to speak to Romish Ranganathan. I got to speak to Heston Blumenthal. Mm. I got to speak to these epic people that you think have got a handle on everything. And then, and to find out that they as well, were they were coping and they were coming to terms with this new world that we we're all thrust into. And there was a sense of, I don't know, it gave me comfort to know, oh, oh, yeah, do you know what? Fundamentally, doesn't matter where our lives have taken us and what we've achieved or haven't achieved or what kind of success we have, you know, we fundamentally, when the shit is the fan, we're all the same. We're all the yeah. same. And that, this has been a real leveller this last year, yeah. I feel. And so that connection, the podcast really kept me going. It gave me a focus. It gave me something. It gave me new voices in my head instead of my own telling me that I'm shit or telling me I'm good or whatever else it was. You know, it's yeah. that. Yeah, it was a real bridge to other worlds. And I, I'm, I'm so pleased that I started it when I did. Yeah, I, I love that. And and the Ramesh episode was a great one because you're right. It's that that relation or the or the humanization of of everyone because Ramesh is is a mate. I love Ramesh, but he's yeah. also incredibly successful. So you can yeah. kind of forget that he's just a normal human <laughs> st- struggling. It's it's become an ongoing joke that he's on everything. Every, yeah. every program has got some kind of Ramesh involvement, but it's true. So hearing him talk to you and and ch- and chatting to him personally about things that are going on at home as he's locked in mm. and things he's struggling with and things he's missing, yeah. you know, all, all just made you go, all right. Again, it's, it's, it's the point of, of doing these in reality to, to give a load of, of different people's experiences and perspectives, I guess. So, yeah. Um, so I guess coming out of the other end of it, how are you feeling going f- forward? Are you excited? Are you, an- is there anything you're anxious about? Cause again, it has been, the weirdest of times and it, mm. I, I don't think it's as simple as 
all right, it's all over now. I'm looking forward to getting back yeah. to normal. There is there is going to be some kind of acclimatising, I guess. Absolutely. I think I'd like to, you know, if, ignoring the shit that you see on social media, I think, I hope, I'd like to think that it's it's brought us together a little bit more. You know, yeah. there's we, we've got more of a, we, we really understand what's important now, and that's, you know, love and connection. You know, like, like you said about, the options, having options to do stuff. Even if you're, if you stay at home quite a lot, you know, you, you, you want to stay indoors and do whatever. But the the choice got taken away, yeah. you know, and yeah. and you know, and that's, I mean, that's we we didn't realise how important it was that to have choices and to be able to see loved ones whenever we wanted to see them, to go and meet friends, to go and do, you know, the freedom. We lost that freedom. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we realise how important it was, and we do, we do more. Like we, like we, we make arrangements more, and we do see people more. Yeah. You know, I know that I know people. There's some people that have said that they are feeling anxious about going back out, and, they, and I am. It's a little bit, a little bit anxious, a little bit of anxiety. But I think, and I've said this before, I think it's the old anxiety from before about arranging to meet up with people. That social anxiety that we always had. Yeah. We haven't had to deal with it for a year. It's been on the yeah. back burner. It's been away. But now it's suddenly flooded back and we're like, oh, no, I'm anxious about going back out. Like, no, no, no. It's the old anxiety coming back. Yeah. It's that a it year was always off. there. It was always there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just coming back. So don't worry. What we'll do is just we'll just cancel uh, we'll just cancel plans last minute like we always used to. <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. It's, you know, I hope, I hope this has brought us in some way closer together and you know and it's but then like talking about success and things like that like you know to about Ramesh and, yeah. and and Heston and people like that and like yourself like you know you've been busy you've been out you're filming your you're, yeah, you're yeah. filming stuff and but people don't realize that yeah 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 on the surface you see like you're going to, to industry things and you're working in the industry and you're busy and you're and you're and people know who you are and that but there's only, that's only segments of your life that's, that's not completely 24 7 so there's a lot of time when you're wandering around on your own going, oh, where, where do I fit into this? Like you do a job that is, you know, it looks, it looks on the surface. It, it, of course it is. It's, it's a wonderful job to be able to do, but the bits in between that are the human bits. And that's when you're, you're, you're back down to being just a human being and you worry about what you're going to have for your lunch, you know, going to the toilet and, oh shit, I haven't done my washing for a bit. I better get on that. You know, and, and then, and then you find yourself because you've been away from home. You're, you're far away in where, where you're in Canada. Yeah. And then you suddenly really go, oh shit, I'm on my own. And it's, and it's, there's a difference between being lonely and being on your own. Like it, it, if there, it's that you, you weren't able to meet people and that really puts a strain on it, you know, because yeah. as much as you love your own company, every now it gets a bit much, doesn't it? After a while. I think you nailed it earlier as well, though. It's, it's the removal of choice. Again, yeah. it's it's that even if you would be spending that evening on your own anyway, it's yeah. knowing that if you wanted to, yeah, I've got some mates who are down the pub or I've got, or they're going to, to this gig that night. So if, if, if I want to, if I need that out or I need that change, it's there and having the, the, that removal is a weird yeah, thing. Exactly. But yeah, well, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come and have a little... Ch- Ch- chat and I look forward My pleasure, to, man. to everything getting back to s- s- some kind of version of, of reality. I'm refusing to use the term normal in all of this because yeah, no. <laughs> normal is what got us into this this situation. So it's really weird. I'm, but because yeah. of the way everything is talked about, it feels like everything has to end with well, when things are back to normal or the new normal or whatever else. Yeah. But I'm I'm trying my best to fight that. So yeah, <laughs> I look forward to 
to to to the new reality that we we come into <laughs> this new universe. I'm just getting lost in uh, the gigs are starting to come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm working hard on the podcast and gigs and writing new shows and there's new there's new projects that instead of I just suddenly realised I'm like oh it's up to me I can if I instead of, I can either sit here and wallow and feel sorry for myself or actually I can be proactive and actually do stuff yeah so I'm actually doing stuff and I'm watching a load load of movies and getting stuck into that and just Love you that. know yeah move, uh, uh, Thunder Force have a look have a watch it's not great but it's it's good enough I I've enjoyed seen, it I've seen posters and I've, I've not I've not given it a look that looks I'll, I'll, I'll add it onto my list it's just one of them it's just a bit of it's you know it won't change your life but there's some nice bits in it so yeah that's yeah, the kind of movie you, you need at times like this I think absolutely absolutely well, thank you very much Rich it's been a pleasure as ever my pleasure man much love to you as always there we go that was Rich Wilson and oh I came I came out of that really like radio didn't I we're talking about heavy stuff and I'm like there we go that was Rich Wilson with his new single I'm doing all right but you know I've had my struggles next up uh, no but seriously next up and to round things off is someone that I always want to talk to whenever anything big is going on I've only had Dane Baptiste on the podcast once prior to this. Oh, I should mention, everyone that's been on this today has been on the podcast previously, so go back and listen to our full episodes if you fancy that. But yeah, I've had Dana once, and we he's just... I love the way his mind works. I love the intricacy with which he, he, he thinks. So I wanted to speak to Dane, and we got into mental health, of course, but we specifically got into mental health around everything that had been going on in America... And in the UK, a lot of stuff politically. So yeah, I was delighted to include Dane in this. Strap yourselves in, because we fit in so much in this sh- short amount of time that is left on this podcast. Have a look at the time that's left, the counter. Have a look. And then be aware that at least two or three of those m- m- minutes is me rambling on at the end. Yeah, we fit a lot in, in this chat. So this is the amazing Dane Baptiste. Right, I'm here today with Dane Baptiste. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you very much, Gubis. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. The uh, the, the reason I've been setting up these chats is to spend 10, 15 minutes talking about kind of how your mental health has been during the pandemic, if there's been any notable low points. I'm aware it's a big question because the pandemic that we thought was going to be a month or so has been like a full year of everyone's lives and a bit more. So, yeah, yeah I guess, how, like, how have you been? And has there been anything that's... That's 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 surprised you or hit you. Um, I don't think anything to say surprised me. I think um, it's probably been an extension of any observations I made. I suppose online, socially, that's just it's just been the same. I think myself personally, the tedium of like the third lockdown kind of reached me. Yeah. Well, it was just kind of boring. Like, I think I've got clocks Deliveroo. I'm like, there's nowhere else to go. I've just working at other ideas of maybe trying to. So all the other things that were kind of recreational that I did to entertain or distract myself from the last lockdowns, I'm like. These are kind of now part of my normal routine, so now I need something new. So it's like the tedium's kind of got to me. But I think personally, like I said, it's been okay, man. Like I've been fortunate. I've not had any issues regarding COVID myself personally or any health issues of my own. Um, but I have noticed happening around a lot of people and, um, you know, in many cases it's been close to home. So that, that's kind of been, that's been concerning and it's been an issue. But at the same time, I, at no point did I think, you know, it wouldn't happen to me or it couldn't happen to me. I'm not really of the position. I know a lot of people are very cynical about COVID as a virus, and they're also very cynical about the handling of the pandemic, which I do understand, but I feel like it's very strange. 
one of the strange things I think is to observe how detached human beings seem from nature because people don't seem to be able to even process the idea of a virus threatening their immune system, even though the immune system they already have is a function of, you know, survival of pandemics and, you know, the combined use of medical research as well as our own immune systems. And some people are like, oh, it can't. people speak as if it can't ever happen. It's like, if we've had a pandemic before, like HIV was a pandemic, you know, the Spanish flu was a yeah. pandemic. So I think this is the first one that's actually affected people directly. So it's been interesting to see that, I suppose, humane and sociological response. But I say the main thing that's been bothering me of late, I think everything else has kind of been fine. But it's, it's for me, it's like always looking out to the states and just really seeing the rise in tensions there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think people speak very casually and very flippantly about a race war, which I mean, there is some validity to it, but it's not as straightforward as people would like. And at the same time, it's really crazy to see where the world's eyes are now on America, in particular regards to its race relations uh, through the context of law enforcement. To see American law enforcement kind of double down seems very troubling to me. And I think for most people it might be unprecedented, but I think we may be watching the end of an empire and mm. this might be the catalyst for it. So, you know, on the one hand, there's the, I suppose it's a, there's the humanitarian angst about that. But then, you know, by the same token, I mean, I do have a, I feel like I have an affinity to you know, the fact that African-Americans are treated like an underclass and their treatment at the hands of law enforcement and just structurally in general in the States. But really, that is a large global problem. So I think that one is intensified and we have much more awareness of it. But at the same time, you know, I just like, I, just, I think, you know, and it's, and it's always been, I suppose, the source of my comedy to, from the from an existential standpoint is that, you know, your heart, my heart kind of bleeds for the world. And, you know, other than the pandemic, there are so many other things that are kind of going on and, yeah. Our detachment and having to kind of, I suppose, be placed indoors has prevented us maybe from, you know, even from actual physical assembly in terms of defending our humanitarian and civil rights, both here and, and abroad as well. So, I mean, that's kind of on my head all the time anyway. I don't think it's, that's not like really a cute fixation I have. I was, I was going to ask, though, have, have, have you found that kind of different or challenging approaching these things at a time where you can't put them through the, the filter of, artistic analysis as such you can't step on stage and and discuss these things and it's not i think that can often be misconstrued as making light of things or whatever else but it's not it's inspecting and deconstructing it under a slightly different eye and a different approach than you would normally normally you're going man this is overwhelming data and stats yeah and it's often through some kind of artistic endeavor the that you can really find the humanity of it, the human stories, the human angle, rather than just this overwhelming amount of data coming in our direction. So, so, so I think that's felt different, yeah? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you can understand as well. And I think artistic expression and just contextualising these events and this phenomenon, is that's part of the rationalisation process that most human beings have. Like, you know, it's never about making light of it, but it's like with every phenomenon there is light and shade, even if it's about the, you know assembly of people that might be opposed to like you know an instance of humanitarian abuse i think we yeah we are losing that opportunity not just to be able to have uh the opportunity for expression but just the normal opportunity to have normal discourse and uh you know that's why i always encourage people to try and process their emotions to take into account is that you're now living in the post advent of like cyber warfare and we've seen like through years of you know privately financed division issues that used to be a lot more moderate in terms of people's ideas of them have become 
massively extreme because like these fires are being stoked for a commercial interest. So I'd say yeah, that's been an issue is that when you try to look at discourse as it takes place on the internet, it's like normally when you find out about the news and you might find out people who are, you know, detractors from the news or supporters of the narrative, normally that happens in a very kind of, it's a, it's a lot more structured and balanced way because you'll have some people for and against, but you have massive extremes when it comes to, you see it on, on the internet. So yeah, I, I think when we have social phenomena, it's like hearing about it in a public toilet and reading the responses like we get all these vitriolic and like very extreme things and they can be very emotionally provocative but I'd always yeah I guess the way to understand that is that like who people are as they appear on the internet is never really who they are anyway and yeah. you know the internet by the nature of its own language is very binary because that's how artificial intelligence speaks um, so, I mean a apart from in both the internet and the, the public toilet analogy apart from people who are correcting grammar that is who they are they can't hide themselves yeah they're, not at all. they're, they're broken people i hate it <laughs> when i see that on on toilet wall scrawlings that someone's not taken issue with the horrible thing that's been said they've just put an apostrophe it's like come yeah. on man allow it well that's just the privilege isn't it i think a lot of people it's the privilege of just being able to deal with uh, i suppose social upheaval from just a narrative standpoint like you know yeah. there are some people who have the privilege where they can just argue about ideology where some people are directly affected by it. And I think it's important for us not to focus on one or the other because they can kind of lead into each other, but they are two, yeah, like I said, very different disciplines. And yeah, and that's something you have to kind of, I've learned over the last lockdown has been quite useful is knowing which people are being performative and which people are being yeah. uh, demonstrative. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's had to be, it's, it's had to become an ad adaptation of mine and most people is to be able to process who the real voices are with any kind of online discourse yeah, and which voices are there to to be agent provocateurs and who are like you're dealing with literal cyber soldiers um, nowadays. So yeah, it's it's a very crazy new world so far as like I guess some of the new tactics that are used in the dissemination of information or misinformation. Yeah, um, but I guess like I said, it's as crazy as that sounds. There is a whole new aesthetic and landscape to the world, which I think being able to get out there, interact with other human beings, get a gauge of the uh, zeitgeist in response to that. And that's going to be able to allow me to begin the process of artistic expression again and to make sense of a fucking crazy world. Yeah, man. I mean, there's two things that come to mind there. First of all, not to use provocative language, but it feels like in the last year, devil's advocate could just be changed to being white devil's advocate. Just put the two together because it yeah, is yeah. It's generally no, you, definitely. But remember, remember but, but whiteness isn't just a race. It's, yeah, it's yeah. white guys going just to play devil's advocate. And it's it's like man, this isn't the time. There's there's people dying in the streets, and this is yeah. hugely emotional. But your your theoretical, but, that, but that's the thing is getting to the point whereby that's how tight it's getting is that people yeah. who are being devil's advocates are yeah have are forced are being forced to, and we're seeing them revealing how close their affinity is to a power structure. Yeah. But I think a lot of people have had the benefit of being able to appear moderate in the face of institutional racism or structural racism. But you know. You can look at it this way: the the more we follow the trail, like the closer we're going to get to how close people are involved. In the same way that, like, we speak about like misappropriation of expenses and we speak about um, cronyism. If we continue to follow that thread of finding out where the fuck all our money went in two thousand eight, you know, whether you consider yourself to be right or left, I think whether you're centrist, I think you're all going to see that like the culprits don't all have very similar characteristics. Yeah. So in the same way, like where you do have kind of like a white devil's advocate, that doesn't just pertain to people that are white people are Europeans. There are a number of people that are involved and obviously benefit from a system as it exists. Thus, 
And yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid of their investment and stuff. That's uh, kind of being affected. I hasten to remind people, even when you have discussions about race relations in the UK, we've had the race report since the last time we spoke, and yeah. people have, and that's caused massive tensions. People are like, oh, well, I did, did we demand they do this and we demand they do that. I'm like, you're talking about a government which has decided it's not going to feed its children, irrespective of race. Yeah. So yeah. for me, I guess it's part of, you know, it's, it's, uh, if, you, if you are, to the, my message to the white devil's advocate would be, if you tolerate this, your children will be next. Yeah. Like capitalism, you know, and I, again, I try to use the analogy, I say to people, you know, capitalism does enjoy a scapegoat, but it loves white meat too. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people could understand that. And yeah, I think, I think it always comes down to follow the, follow the money. And uh, the way I add it up is that, you know, if you're looking at somewhere like the continent of Africa, still the most resource rich place on the planet. And that includes like Coltan, which is really the source of all the electronics we're using to kind of navigate the digital world. If you create a narrative and an ideology where the people there are seen as less than human, they're always going to be open to exploitation. So anybody yeah. else who wants to be able to exploit resources as well wants to be able to pile on and say the same thing. Like another way I'll try to explain to people, it's like this, it's like, it's like this man. It's like people enjoy like the meal on their plate, but no one wants to see like the abattoir. Yeah. And that's kind of the white devil advocate thing is that even myself, I found ways of cognitive dissonance to justify my diet and like, oh, I might like, I might like, yeah, I might like yellow, yellow tail sushi, but it's like, you know, but you are aware that that it also includes a practice which is depleting our oceans and blah, blah. And I can might be like, yeah, but I don't eat all the time. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I can create lots of justifications for a lifestyle. And, and like I said, part of the devil's advocate thing is that what it comes with the complex of whiteness and I, that I've observed and what people refer to as privilege, part of that privilege is oblivion. If you do not know that trustees are being carried out in your name, then you're also going to be predisposed and being more supportive of your government. Like I know when we hear such regressive ideas and such backwards narratives from people in terms of ideas like monarchy and stuff, you still have to understand this, that even though you still see open and overt explicit discussions on the internet, people who are 10, 20 years older than you and I still just watch the news on TV. Yeah. And if they are being told that things are fine with the TV and, and Megan is, is a problem, they are so inculcated by this idea that they just, that's how they read the news. They, yeah. It doesn't occur to yeah. them that when they, whatever they look at the news might be a lie. Like most human beings are comfortable with the idea of paying for energy, even though that has never been created, it's always been there. So no one owns it. By law, no one can own it. But then people believe that the news is natural. People think like, you know, the news works the same way as lightning or like, you know, just, to, you know, just changing the tides in that they think that it, the news simply exists as a reference point to tell you what happened during the day. Yeah. And, you know, some people still have that kind of mentality. And it's gone so far from that. It's gone so far from so, that. I mean, so far, again, you I used mean, America as an example, but yeah. there's literally teams to support in the news in America. I yes, support it, yeah. CNN, I support, yeah. you know, and so on and so forth. I support Fox. Which, which has probably been much more easier to accomplish and more effective in a lockdown where people aren't able to have that, I suppose, part of that American identity where you do have competition, obviously, plays yeah. a large part in America's culture through, like, you know, the much tension they play to professional sports. They've had that removed as well from, yeah. I suppose, their cultural matrix for a while. So they're probably even, their political um, divide has probably been even more intensified. But, like, I would explain to people is like, I remember in school when guys were like, how come they live in mud huts in Africa and they're so advanced and they're so primitive? And I imagine for a lot of continental Africans, people like myself, there was this air of shame, but now you think about it, I mean, I understand because if you are a white person living in the UK, you take sanitation as something for granted. You don't even think about it. Yeah. So I guess when it comes to really getting to the quantum of white supremacy and racism and how it benefits capitalism, 
as opposed to, you know, what people confuse for commercialism, it's not the same thing. Capitalism is something that's very different. People can enjoy that part in the same way that, like, my, my white friends, if they've grown up, you throw something in the bin, you'd have to worry about it again, but they've never seen a landfill. Mm. And you think maybe if you saw what a landfill looked like, you'd think more about your decisions at this point. And it's yeah. very, I think it's very similar to racism. Racism and, and, and you know, elitism, that's the landfill. And everyone else who maybe enjoys a little aspect of privilege or certain more, what they refer to as casual racism and little microaggressions, that's all the shit and rubbish that continues to get piled on. But if you have a media cycle and you have a system which is able to obscure the effects of it from your view and you don't see the long-term effects of racial oppression on people, you don't see the deprivation that institutional and racism causes, because you never have to see the landfill. Yeah. Uh, and, I think, and I think that's the issue now is that with landfills, you may not see them, but if you keep adding shit to them, flies start coming around and yeah. it starts building and building. And I think that's the point we're getting to both within our society and both within our consciousness is that we've been building up this landfill and it's going to begin to overflow. It's going to begin to pollute all other aspects of our lives. And so, yeah, yeah I guess that's my message to like the devil's advocate because, yeah, it's a very valid point where, because I understand some people are very much, you know, they whether or not they want to acknowledge it, there is a benefit to it. And it's the only life that some people have known. And, like, and you know, the argument is, I didn't own any slaves and I'm not involved in slavery. But it's like, even from my perspective, it's like, for me to continue to, to, to ignore the plight of people that may be affected by just, just environmental devastation. How long, yeah. how long will I be able to ignore that? In the same way that, you know, everybody rejoiced at Joe Biden winning the presidency. There are still detention centres on the border. Yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think for all of us, maybe, we, we have to understand that most of the systems that we invest so much in, in terms of the, the progressive nature of them, these are only ideas we've had since like the Second World War. Yeah. Like from people in World War One and stuff like that, there was still like Austro-Hungarian empires and Prussia and, you know, it was, the, the landscape of even Europe in particular was very different to how it was now. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it's like the race report came out speaking about Caribbean Windrush people arriving in the 1940s are not faring as well as, you know, continental African immigrants in the 80s. And it's like, yeah, that's because you didn't even have an NHS in the 40s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons, why, one of the large part of the Windrush coming to AWE construction was to become members of, you know, the transport service and become parts of all the, all the nationalised services and staffing those. Now, if you've seen those services become privatised, then the odds are that the opportunities aren't the same as they used to be. And, and again, it's like, you know, more and more landfill stuff because people, why there's immigrants here in order to provide healthcare? And so... That would have been the answer for people being like, okay, well, that's a much more uh, reason. That's, that's much more reasonable. That's much. That's very reasonable. They're helping us with with healthcare, and somehow over the course of our time, we've all been able to begin to work out some kind of, of race relations. But then, then it should stand to reason. People should understand that when we're talking about the privatization of our healthcare system, this racist cat has been thrown amongst the ideological pigeons again, and we're now fighting mm -hmm. over who's supposed to have what. In the meantime, wherever you are, black, white. If you consider yourself to be indigenous and English, that is not supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah. That's not supposed to happen. If we talk about, like, you know, I may have some liberal platitudes towards war and, you know, British identity, but I know for a fact that part of that British white identity is having that pride as being able to fight to acquire this and, you know, your belief in your military stru structure. But you now have people who served in these things without access to healthcare, who are coming home without access and treatment for their post-traumatic stress disorder, whether you're white or not, that's a problem. Yeah. That yeah. is that is a problem that we should all be united in our, uh, being appalled against. It's, it's like, you know, some of us saw a very, very candid interview from Prince Andrew. It doesn't seem to be something we want to address. And 
more and more news seems to emerge that's trying to distract us from that point. And, yeah. you know, again, I'm speaking objectively, there doesn't have to be an accusation, but to watch someone in an elite circle refuse to address the FBI, that should be of a concern to everyone. Yeah, I think I, I think the clear thing here is adjusting what we're willing to, to, to look away from. Yeah. You know, you know, there's things that we look at far too much that aren't that big a deal and become a huge deal where there's stuff that we should be going, all right, let's stop. Let's stop looking away from that. Well, I mean, thank you so much for giving a, a, your, your time, man. Even in My pleasure. 10, 15 minutes, we always get so much, so much disgust and, and in there. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like I just, I, I still try, yeah, always trying to streamline that line from, you know, the heart to the head and the yeah. or heart to the mouth and speaking. But I, this is always helpful, bro. It's always good to speak to you, man. And I, and I think this is it. It's, it's uh, that ability just to exchange ideas in mass. That yeah. human beings are massively lacking about now. Yeah, and, completely. You know, I just, I just think, yeah, I think we just have to be able to really have that open exploration of our minds. That like, you know, I don't subscribe to the idea of like you know people say be kind. Yeah, I mean that's a nice instruction, but in reality, that's not how people are. Yeah. So it should be more towards like you know be kind, or you should get punched in the face. Like there has to be a balance of light and shade, and I think yeah, it's it's a. Uh, this way of trying to contextualize our existence along these binary lines of zero and one. That's not yeah. who we are as human beings. Act appropriately and expect appropriate reactions. Yeah, it's because I remember that. That, that was always the first natural, one of the first natural laws for every action is an equal but opposite reaction. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, be kind or get slapped in your face, should be the slogan. I love it. That's the perfect note to end on. Thank you very much, man. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, man. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Dane. Another episode in the bag. Once again, thank you all so much for tuning in. As you all see, I've not plugged any of my usual stuff. But what I would like to say is if you can support Calm, the campaign against living miserably, if you can support Samaritans, you you, you will have heard my mum in the first of these, and she's a Samaritan. So any support to Samaritans in general, but specifically to Basildon Samaritans, to Mind. And even if you can't afford to chip some money in, head to any of those websites and just have a look around because there's so many good resources on there. And I think sometimes we don't know that we need some help until we start r- reading about stuff. And I know that sounds like it's a almost a self-fulfilling p- prophecy or a kind of, well, don't read about it then because then you'll be fine. But these things come around in the end and they have underlying shadow effects that we might not realize so it's always good to keep an eye on your own mental health and the mental health of your friends and reach out to your friends you you know i i believe mental health awareness week and podcasts like this are a great icebreaker in the mental health discussion with your friends you you can say oh listen to this podcast or check this out or i heard lena heady talking about this specific thing you know what? I've I've been going through some stuff. Um, they're great icebreakers to talk about your own mental health and just to reach out to friends. And as said, sometimes just how you're doing is great, but sometimes even that isn't enough. S- sometimes it can be nice try and not probe, but stick around a bit longer. Do you know what I mean? On on the WhatsApp or whatever else, even if it's a you know rather than just a hey man, I just wanted to, t- to check in. Are you good? And then they're like, yeah, I'm good. 
And you're like, all right, cool, man, bye. Stick around a bit longer in case they're not, you've caught them off guard or they're not ready to talk about anything that they might be going through. Um, and it might take a few more moments. Take those moments. It's important. Yeah. All right, and then I'm going to go. I will talk to you all next week when, as I said, I'll have Connie Huck, Simon Pegg, my dad, and, and, and yeah, I've got good people still to come. Fear not. This has been the Distraction Pieces podcast, and it's been the fifth part of the Where's Your Head At specials, mental health during a pandemic. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay talking. Ta-ta.